Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Yeah, draft day was busy, but come on. When you listen to this podcast, you know we're talking about the old goats. Well, that's not entirely fair. We're just not really talking about the new guys. Because ultimately, and there will be there'll be a couple of rookies that when the dust settles, they're doing their thing. You know, like a Walker Kessler this year was a great example of that. Guys that, I don't want to say come out of the blue, because everybody had one eye on Kessler right after the Gobert trade went down, and then the Jazz signed a couple other people, and that we all kind of changed what we thought the pecking order might be out in Utah. But it's not usually the guys at the top. So if you listen to our show on Friday, you heard me say that I'm just I just kind of wanted to save all of the non draft draftees, I guess, stuff until this Monday show. So we didn't have to try to cram it in in five minutes. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I didn't want to cram it in in five minutes. And obviously the big stuff that went down kind of leading up to draft night was Bradley Beal earlier in the week, which we did already talk about. That was the Bradley Beal-Chris Paul that happened, I think, uh, actually on Father's Day. So it was last Sunday. We talked about that on last Monday's show a week ago today. And then after that, the Porzingis to Boston deal, which also sent Marcus Smart to Memphis and Tyus Jones to Washington. And then the Chris Paul deal, which sent CP3 to Golden State and Jordan Poole back to Washington. There was also a smaller trade involving Rashawn Holmes that landed him on the Mavericks, although the Mavs then also ended up with a center on draft night, and they have the other, whatever you want to call it, their sort of revolving door carousel. It's probably more of a carousel because everybody kind of gets in there. Carousel of centers. Dwight Powell's a free agent. Christian Wood's a free agent. Maxi Kleba is the only remaining regular center who's still signed. JaVale McGee is also on the roster, but he didn't get to play very much. But then they brought in these new bodies with the hope, I guess, that one of them would kind of rise to the top. Meaning that there is an outside chance that that person that rises to the top is Rashawn Holmes. So we'll talk about the Dallas Mavericks center position. We'll talk about the Warriors and whatever the hell they're going to look like now with Chris Paul replacing Jordan Poole. And more than anything today, well, we'll talk about Marcus Smart in uh, Memphis and what that means actually for kind of some of the other stuff going on. But more than anything, we're going to talk about the Wizards on today's podcast because they underwent a full overhaul in less than a week. They are a completely new team, and the usage is up for grabs. Welcome one and all to Fantasy NBA Today. It's Monday, June the 26th, final week of June here on this pod. And by the end of this week, it'll be free agency time. I believe that starts actually on uh, Friday night, right? It's Friday afternoon, maybe. I'll get my date, my date and time, my timestamp. I'll get that right at some point later this week. And then I believe NBA switched it so that it's not at midnight anymore. So we might be able to wait on the Friday show, hold off and do that one a little bit later and get some early free agency stuff. Or, I don't know, maybe we'll just do a freaking weekend show. Whatever. Either way, it's coming up. It's right around the corner. We still have a number of teams we need to go through, which 
feels a little bit like maybe we won't get to all of them before free agency kicks off. In fact, I'd venture to say we almost definitely won't get all, to all of them until after free agency is rolling. But we'll do our best here. We'll try to mush it all in. I think we are... Oh, where the hell are we in terms of numbers? What did we do? I don't even remember the last team we did. Good gracious. Um, Did we do the Suns? No. And the Warriors? Is that... I guess I can check. It was the Friday before this most recent one. And then we did the Chris Paul trade, and then we spent the week talking about draft stuff. Yeah, it was the Warriors. So, uh, following the sports ethos train on these season wraps, that leaves the Suns, the Sixers, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Heat, the Nuggets. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, we'll... Um, well, you know, some of those season recaps might end up getting sort of rolled into free agency if they make any moves. But anyway, we'll get to them eventually. That's the point here. Um, as far as today goes, again, I, you know, we're going we're gonna to plow into these moves. I will say that um, one other little footnote here before we get into the trades is that the T-Wolves on Sunday uh, re-signed Nas Reed for a three-year, 14, or excuse me, 14 a year, 42 total million-dollar extension that'll uh, sign him through, I think, what, 2026, something like that. So that's annoying. Uh, it's good for Nas. I mean, it's nice to see him get $42 million. I was hoping he'd get $42 million on some team that was going to give him full starters minutes. That doesn't happen, unfortunately, in Minnesota unless Carl Anthony Towns or Rudy Gobert gets moved on. Which feels like a long shot. I mean, I know we've heard that they're... They would consider exploring the the cat trade market, but I mean these guys are making a fortune, and as much as uh, you know, as as good as Cat is offensively, he carries with him a lot of just sort of not winning. I like Cat; the guy is easy guy to root for, but he's making thirty six million dollars this coming season, and that's sort of the deal because he already got his mega extension that kicks in after this season that goes 50 54 58 and a player option for 62 like he's not going to take that player option so that that's through 2028 27 28 is the season but yeesh i don't, I don't know how you move any of those guys at this point except for nas reed who they obviously don't want to move so the Wolves are just going to have a crap ton of centers for the foreseeable future. And unfortunately for Reed, he's not going to get to do much unless the other guys are out in front of him. So there went that outside shot. Again, I didn't want that outside of a shot, but there went that shot at Nas Reed having more sustainable value. Let's start with the teams that sort of picked up individual key pieces and then we'll loop back around to the new-look Washington Wizards because that's really the sort of the, the shimmering beacon here in this discussion. Player number one is one that we already talked about a week ago today, and that's Chris Paul, who's now a Golden State Warrior and by all accounts is probably their backup point guard, which is such a funny thing to think about, but... That's sort of the career stage he's at right now. I love Chris Paul. You guys know I love his fantasy game. He's always perennially underdrafted. But he's starting to get hurt a little bit more. This season, you kind of saw the old man, the actual 
old man stuff creep up, where the previous year people were like, oh, you missed so-and-so number of games. Yeah, it was one busted hand that he came back early from, and the two years prior to that, he basically played every damn ball game. He was a pillar of efficiency and health. This season really much more strongly resembled that mess of a year in Houston. That last one, I guess he was there for, what, two? Uh... Before he got shipped off to Oklahoma City in the Russell Westbrook deal, his efficiency was down, his health was down. It was just like, and maybe that's the thing with Chris Paul. Maybe stuff snowballs on him, and maybe if he can get through the beginning of a season healthy, then everything else will just sort of fall into place. But this year, he couldn't. Beginning of the season, missed time. It was hip stuff. I mean, that's like, if you want to sound like an old dude, you talk about your trick hip. Still averaged 14-9 and with a steal and a half. Uh, but the free throw percent was down, the field goal percent was way down, and it wasn't shot selection mostly. It was just sort of missing stuff he usually makes. And now he goes to Golden State, where he's obviously not going to start in front of Steph Curry. That's the team's starting point guard, and you can't really run those two guys together or your team's just going to get decimated by any large guards in the NBA. Not to mention the fact that it also pushes... That would push Clay up to small forward and Wiggins up to power forward and Draymond to center, which is fine. They can survive with that. But that's a rough bottom three. Clay used to be a wonderful defender. He's not anymore. His, his legs are just not what they used to be. Two full seasons off with multiple back-to-back catastrophic injuries. He's just He doesn't have the foot speed he used to have. So now you're relying basically on Wiggins at the four and Dre at the five to guard the whole floor. And Steph can kind of hold his own, so I don't want to kick a man while he's down, but he's not a good defender, per se. He's an adequate one. And Chris Paul used to be, but now he's old and slow. Um, And Clay is off injury and slow. So it feels like Chris Paul probably slots into a little bit of that Jordan Poole bucket, but is going to use it very differently than Poole did. Jordan Poole averaged 30 minutes a game this season. So if you're like, oh, well, Chris Paul's coming off the bench, who's not going to get the minutes. I don't think that's actually the case. I think Chris Paul's going to get to play plenty in Golden State, but it just doesn't make sense for him to run alongside Steph all that often. They'll do it for stretches, but it won't be the beginning of the bit. I don't think it'll be the beginning of it. I shouldn't say won't. I don't think it'll be the beginning of a ball game. I don't think you see Chris Paul with the ball in his hands as much as he has, uh, at least pre-Kevin Durant, in Phoenix, where he and Devin Booker kind of alternated running every play, and Chris Paul actually had the ball in his hands most of the fourth quarter for not, not as much this season, but certainly the previous couple in Phoenix. I, I'd be floored if that was what Golden State was running late with Chris Paul and away from Steph Curry-centric offense. I mean, that's their best offense. That's their most efficient one. Chris Paul's going to be in there to get big men involved. That's what he's done throughout his career. He's one of the best pick-and-roll basketball players in the history of the NBA. Warriors don't exactly have guys that you'd call heroic rim runners on that team. But Chris Paul in a second unit with guys like Kaminga... Hell, even with a guy like Kevon Looney, he's going to make those guys maybe a little bit, maybe a lot of it better. We've done, he's done that throughout his career. And even as a slower version of himself, he's still going to be able to do that at least to some degree. 
would I draft him in fantasy? He's going to have to go pretty low. And this, I mean, even we're still talking about Chris Paul here. Like, you know, I'm looking for a reason to draft him. I'm just not seeing it. I don't, I mean, maybe his efficiency gets better playing against weaker units. Instead of going against team starters and closers, maybe he's going against second units and then maybe closers also. Is he part of their closing lineup in Golden State? I think it'll depend on opponent. Could he go for 14 and 9? Nine feels like a little bit of a reach. Could he still be a top 50 per game fantasy play? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is still Chris Paul. It's it's kind of a long way down still. Like, where else? Yeah, you peel off the assists a tiny bit, but if he's out there and he's playing against weaker defenses, he'll just pile up certain stats a little quicker. And then he's going to have to get a little bit better even yet at playing off ball. He got better at it in... Phoenix, make no mistake, he he improved in that respect. He's not, uh, he never got great at it, but he's not a complete disaster in that regard. And he's probably going to be asked to space the floor a little bit. So maybe you see threes go up a little for CP3. Maybe a change of scenery perhaps helps the free throw percent inch back up. Maybe field goal percent gets better against weaker units. Again, you know, maybe you're not seeing devastating rim protection in those second units, and perhaps he can get his little mid-rangers a foot and a half, two feet closer to the bucket. You know, 14-footer instead of 16, something like that. Just little things that maybe add up over the course of a year. I do need to see where he goes. I think his ADP is going to be pretty low after this trade, so I'm not going to just write him off completely, but it's going to take some gymnastics to get there. Next key name, solo player on the move, Christoph Porzingis, who maybe we should have covered him first. He is technically the biggest name, fantasy-wise, to get moved. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. After KP had... Maybe the best season of his career this year in Washington. Played in 65 out of 82 ball games. Probably could have gone the last three or four, but pulled the plug after 65. Remember during the podcast, I kept saying I thought maybe he was going to try to prove to everyone he could get to 70 games. Seems like he was actually just trying to prove to everyone he could get to 65. And he got there, and then they were like, okay, good enough. We're bad. You sit. Which, I mean, the hell's the point of that? Just play him. You know, trade him anyway. 
23 points, 8.5 boards, 2.7 assists, a steal, 1.5 blocks, two three-pointers, 50% from the field, 85 decent volume free throws. Brilliant fantasy campaign for Porzingis, who finished uh, right behind Kawhi Leonard, ahead of Donovan Mitchell in 9-cat. Amazing season. Well, guess what? Uh, He's not going to get to do as much in Boston. I'm assuming here that both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown remain. Um... Yes, Porzingis did play with Beal and Kuz, who, you know, combined they didn't get to where uh, Boston's lead horses got. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown combined to take about 42 shots per game. So, yeah, a little different. I mean, uh, Bradley Beal was at 17 and a half. I think Kuzma was right around that number also, wasn't he? Yeah, we can pull that up. Um Kuz was 17.8, and so then Porzingis got about 16, when you think about those two guys. Uh, Were there other guys in Washington that wanted to take shots? Not really. That's the thing. He's going to kind of a similar, like, there's a 1A, then there's the next guy down. I would argue that Porzingis was actually the next guy down, although Kuzma did take more shots overall. There's no way that, that KP moves in front of... Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown in the Boston pecking order. And so to think, okay, is this guy going to get up near 16 shots per ball game and six and a half free throws? That's really a best case scenario. So all of the, like for years and years here, the, uh, the fantasy fates had sort of been aligning, conspiring almost to create this massive value bubble for Porzingis. He just kept missing time, and he kept getting right to around his ADP on a totals basis by being a monster per game, but also being perennially injured. And you're just like, look, at some point, this dude's going to not be as injured, and he's just going to whip his ADP right out of the ballpark. And that was this year. But now now that we've sort of collected on that waiting period, we cashed in the bond, so to speak. You got paid for it. Now you kind of have to let it go. As much as I'd like to say, hey, Christoph Porzingis draft day value maybe again, after a huge season, going to a marquee franchise, I just don't see how he falls far enough again this year to where I'm thinking it's all gravy. He could fall far enough where you're like, there's an outside chance he could beat this, Mark. But it's not going to be like this season where you're like, look, worst case scenario, he's basically at his ADP. And then every game he plays beyond like 55, he just pushes farther and farther past it. This season, it's kind of the opposite of that. This season, it's like, okay, well, I would assume Porzingis probably goes around in the low 30s. And then you pretty much need him to play in the low to mid-60s in games to beat that marker. This year, and look, everybody missed a ton of basketball games this year, especially at the top of the draft. So even by totals, Porzingis was still in the early teens. But next year, if you think he falls back into the 20s on a per-game basis, and you think he gets like 62 games played, that's probably puts him around his ADP. So any erosion beyond that, which, again, for him, like, efficiency is a big deal. Uh, volume matters for Porzingis because everything tied to volume for him was a positive. Points, 
threes, field goal percent, free throw percent. All of those things were positive. Every time he touched the basketball, it was something good. There wasn't really one. I mean, turnovers at 2.1, but whatever. That's nothing. A lot of these guys, when you're, when you're talking about usage, you're like, okay, well, they handle the ball. That's good for threes. That's good for points. It's good for assists. It's good for free throw percent, but it's bad for field goal percent. For Porzingis, all of those were positives. Every time he was involved in a play, he's just not going to be involved in as many plays in, Was- in, in Boston as he was in Washington. Even if we think it's small, it's non-zero. That's what matters. Until we get the ADP, we can't tell, tell you exactly how much things matter, but we can tell you it matters. Guys going from a place where they are pretty clearly in the top bucket to a place where they're right behind the top bucket, that matters. Going to a place where, look, in Washington, like it was obviously Bradley Beal's team, but behind him, Porzingis was just, had any... I did much claim as anybody to say, I need to be the guy doing stuff right now. In Boston, there's two guys in front of him for that. Behind those dudes? Sure, whatever. But it's tough to be the third wheel. Ask Chris Bosh. Ask Kevin Love. Seems to happen for the big guys, too. Womp womp. All right, let's talk about the third sort of individual player who changed teams and now is in a somewhat interesting situation, and that's Marcus Smart, who, I don't know if technically, is that trade technically gone through? I guess it doesn't really matter yet. Marcus Smart was number 124 by totals this year because he only played in 61 ball games. Uh, he was number 115 on a per-game basis, which I would argue was kind of crummy. You're a starting point guard in the NBA, averaging one and a half steals per game, and you still can't get inside the top 100? His free throw percent took a step back. You know, we'd, we'd had a few seasons in a row where Smart had kind of, I don't want to say wiped out one of the two percentages being a negative, but more or less, you know, starting in 2018, and even before that, there was one year that was sort of like a blip in there, uh, his bad foul shooting that I think everybody remembered at the very start of his career was pretty much gone. 2016, he shot 81% at the free throw line. Next year, he was down at 73 for some weird reason. Then it was 81, 84, 79, 79 again. And then this year, 74 and a half, 75 if you want a round. Field goal percent, still, you know, he was in the high 30s for a while. Then he crept up into the low 40s and he's been sort of camped out near there. So the free throw number came back down. Wouldn't be insane, I think, to assume that that bounces back up to 79 or better in Memphis. I would also assume that because of the way the Grizzlies play, which is kind of like this frantic throw everybody at everything, try to get as many steals as humanly possible, if that one and a half steals maybe doesn't inch back up towards 1.7 for Smart. 6.3 assists. Um... I mean, understanding that Ja is out the first 25 ball games, uh, he'll be at that number or better, at least for those games. I don't know about maintaining six-plus once Morant is back in the mix, but certainly at the beginning of the season. Rebounds, I don't expect to change all that much. And then you probably assume that he does do a little bit more on offense. 
It's that same thing again where, like, look, Marcus Smart was behind Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. We can go down the board over and over again. Malcolm Brogdon actually took 11 shots per game. And then he got to Smart at 9.9 this year. Memphis, they've got their guys up at the top. Ja, 20. Bain, 16. JJJ, 13. But, I mean, nobody on that team was at the volume of either Tatum or Brown. Ja was close. Dylan Brooks' 14 are off the books. Tyus Jones got traded. He was only taking nine, but whatever. Like, there are shots up for grabs in Memphis right now. There's no reason to think that that Marcus Smart, who I'm sure would love to take more shots than he was taking this year. Maybe he gets back up to 11.5 like the COVID season. He was at 13 points, only five assists that year. 1.7 steals, 2.3 threes, 84% at the free throw line. If you're trying to figure out what's a what's sort of a comp for Marcus Smart, he was number 63 on a per-game rank that year. 13 and 5, four rebounds, two and a half threes, 1.7 steals. And he was only shooting 37.5% from the field. So I think there's a pretty clear path for Marcus Smart to get back inside the top, we'll call it 80 this year in Memphis, with maybe even a little bit of juice beyond that. If you think he gets 11.5 shots or more. And I'm inclined to think that he probably does. Memphis plays fast, they run a lot, jaws out for a third of the season. Why not? Especially the front end. You're not going to be able, if you're like, oh, well, maybe I'll draft Marcus Smart and I'll play him for 20 games and try to trade him. No, I mean, you're not going to be in a in a goofer league where people are going to take that. Oh, yeah, sure, I'll take this guy as his giant runway is about to thin out in five days. No, I mean, if you're drafting him, you're drafting him to just sort of hang on and see what happens. But I do think there's a chance he gets underdrafted because he doesn't score that much. And the field goal percent is low. People probably don't like that very much. I guess, I mean, when you think about it this way, he probably does go higher in points leagues, but he does not get the eight-cat bump. So maybe that levels off for nine-category ADP. There's a path for Marcus Smart here. I don't know how great it looks after Jock comes back. First 25 games, yeah. I mean, that's like practically a shoe-in. But beyond that, nah. I'll also mention this while we're talking about Marcus Smart. When we... uh. We covered the Grizzlies, whatever that was, a couple weeks ago. We talked about how guys like Luke Kennard and Tyus Jones were likely to step into sort of bigger roles here. Um, well, Tyus Jones is gone, so that now becomes the Marcus Smart gig. Dylan Brooks is gone. Um, and then Ja being out for 25 games means Luke Kennard probably also has at least those 25 games to do interesting stuff. What I don't know, and what I'm starting to think maybe doesn't fully stick, is the Kennard after Ja comes back part of the year. Because now you figure that Marcus Smart ends up just sort of taking Dylan Brooks's minutes at that point. Because Ja's back in there, there's no like f- official backup point guard in that particular spot, so it's just like a combination of Smart, Ja, and Desmond Bain probably handling the basketball throughout most of the ballgame. But as far as minutes go, they do dry up a little bit. And now let's talk Washington Wizards, because that's where things got really interesting. The Wizards totally blew it up. We still don't even know if Kuzma's going to be back. Uh, I mean, 
heaven forbid, like if, if he's not back, then everything is just up for grabs in Washington. As it stands right now, let's go ahead and assume that Kuzma is back with the Washington Wizards. That dude might take 22 shots a game. And I hate Kyle Kuzma's fantasy game. Bad defensive stats, bad percentages, both of them. High turnovers. He is a pretty hard negative in five out of the nine categories. He might just turn into that guy that's good enough in the other three or four that it does actually counterbalance it. Now, that said, uh, he'll be way better in 8-cat and points league. So from a 9-cat standpoint, he's likely to get wildly overdrafted if he stays in Washington. Again, I throw that caveat in there. If Kyle Kuzma stays in Washington, he probably gets way overdrafted in 9-category leagues. But in points leagues, he could be a dynamo. We've heard the Wizards are shopping Monte Morris. I hope that they do find a suitor for him. Uh, because right now, he's kind of the only impediment, and it's a small one, I believe, to Tyus Jones fully going takeover mode in terms of fantasy. We talked about it on the Memphis show. When Tyus Jones got his starting gig in Memphis for the games that John Morant was suspended, he was basically posting top 50 fantasy value. And again, there's really only like one way that that doesn't happen this year. I love Tyus Jones this season. I think there's a real chance that he's a guy that comes into this year with a ton of hype, and it might still not even be enough hype. We'll have to watch the hype train on Tyus Jones. How fast does it get going? Is it fast enough? And then Jordan Poole, who... You know, it's easy to forget, because Poole was was pretty bad this year in a lot of respects. From an efficiency standpoint, he was terrible. Uh, he was number 145 on a per-game basis. Yeah, he played in all thirty-two or 82 games, so that's good. 20 points is good. Two and a half three-pointers is good, but and the 87% foul shot is also very good. Um, but he did a lot of stuff very poorly this year as well. Still, um, kind of similar to the Kyle Kuzma note, although Poole is an excellent foul shooter, you know, you take him from 15 and a half shots to 18 or 19 in a ball game, and the good is just going to overwhelm the bad. And a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I think Poole's going on my do not draft lift because he's going to tank your field goal percent. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe. Uh, can you be like a top 20 player if you're a punt field goal guy? Freddie Van Fleet is kind of the example of that, and he does it with a huge defensive number. But there are plenty of examples not that much farther down the board of pretty bad field goal guys still being relatively well-ranked fantasy plays. You know, we're talking top 50 kind of guys. Are they Jordan Poole bad? Eh, I mean, Trey Young is like kind of your best example of a guy, high volume, 43%. And obviously he floats his value with 10 assists per ball game. Uh, but he's also at four turnovers per game, so that kind of mucks up the nine-category stuff. But again, like, you can be kind of bad at one of the percentages if you're doing enough of the other stuff. Is Jordan Poole going to be top 30? No. He's simply not good enough at the other categories to, like, you look at a guy like Paul George as an example of somebody that gets into the top 30 while being kind of bad at field goal percent, but he's not going to be Jordan Poole bad. Poole's going to be worse than that. 
Clay Thompson is probably a good example of somebody that's not all that far off from Jordan Poole target. High volume, 43.5%. Lots of three-pointers. You could see Poole with better uh, steals, maybe better assist numbers. So perhaps he goes a bit higher than that. But like, there's a there's a path for Poole to get into that top 50 range this coming year, despite the brutal field goal percent. And I mean, look, I mean, just think about the previous year. Poole was number 65 with the Warriors, not this season, but the previous one, while shooting 45% from the field. That was all it took. Free throw percent was at 93 instead of 87. So yeah, that's also helpful. But dude was only taking 14 shots a game. It was all an efficiency thing with him. Both percentages came down this year. If those things inch back up, great. If they don't, I think the volume could kind of overwhelm it. But everybody's going to be looking at Jordan Poole. He's going to be a very popular 8-cat and points league option, so I don't know that we're going to be able to attack him all that hard in 9-cat. But I just, I don't want to rule him out. I saw a lot of folks on Twitter that were like, yeah, I can't. I don't think I can touch this dude because of the field goal percent. Well, there are paths around that. There are some big men that just go out there and dunk eight times a game that could take care of the Jordan Poole issue. Who knows? Maybe the field goal percent comes back a little bit when he's not sitting in that locker room knowing that he's not part of the inner circle anymore after getting socked in the mouth. But, okay, look, Tyus Jones, Jordan Poole, those are the obvious ones because those are the guys that just arrived in Washington. There are other names on this team that have been there that just might make that giant leap forward and hopefully we can get in front of it. And those two names, not Corey Kispert, believe it or not, who probably does have some decent fantasy games at some point this year because his percentages are decent, but he doesn't get any defensive stats and that's just sort of hard to cover up. It's not Denny Avdia who a lot of people like Denny, but bad percentages. We saw his turnovers were yuck at the end of the year. Denny, by the way, points league, yeah, there could be something there. But 9-cat, not as much. The two guys that I'm referring to, when I talk about guys that were already on the Wizards that have a pathway to really interesting value, DeLon Wright and Daniel Gafford. Gafford, perhaps even more so, because it does feel like the Wizards are kind of more into it. That's a weird thing to say. But they signed Daniel Gafford to an extension that kicks in this season for about 13 mil a year for three seasons. So, like, Gafford's there on a reasonable contract. And sure, they could try to move it. But at the end of the day, the easier of the two contracts to move, DeLon Wright, $8 million expiring deal. So as much as I love DeLon Wright, and I will probably draft him in a crap ton of Roto Leagues this season because we saw him go top 50 per game in 24 and a half minutes per ball game, which is practically guaranteed right now with Beal out, Tyus Jones in, and Porzingis gone, and Kuzma maybe not coming back, and Morris on the trade block. I don't know how DeLon Wright doesn't get to 24 and a half minutes per game, and then there's probably potential for something beyond that. So as, again, I love it. I love it. Games cap Roto, easier to stomach when you consider the fact that there's, I'd say, a a very high probability he gets moved at the trade deadline and then you lose most of that value. But just think about that. Like, what if he was number 62 again this year? I didn't mean to say top 50. He was he, he had 
long stretches of top 50, but he was number 62 overall uh, on a on a per game basis. Missed a bunch of time as well. Sorry, got the got the ranking off by uh, 12 slots. But if if you pushed Alon right up to 26 minutes, I don't want to say 28 and 29. That feels like you're getting a little too aggressive. But 26 minutes, you are basically at the top 50. And I bet you he comes cheap on draft night. Daniel Gafford might not come quite as cheap on draft night, but luckily for us, we know how good it can be. How good it can be for Gafford. He does get banged up a lot. But he manages to play through it about as often as he gets banged up. That's the nice news on Gafford. (laughs) Is that he plays through a lot of the injuries. You see it in his play, slower games where he's just like, can't pull his butt up and down the court quite as well. But here's the thing. With Gafford, we can play this little game of what do his stats look like in the games where he plays 26 minutes or more. And I think you know, I'm going to tell you, they are good. I can't give you all of those games because there were quite a few of them this season, but they were interspersed among a ton of games where he was at like 18, 19, 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, there's like, pow, 29 when he double-doubles for with a couple of blocks. 33 minutes, 9 and 8 with 4 blocks. 29 minutes, 21 and 12 with 5 blocks. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's some good stuff mixed in there. So you can't really do the game either where you're like, oh, look at Daniel Gafford's stats while so-and-so was out because it was always this weird revolving door thing of who was in and who was out. What I can tell you is if you play the game log game, which is a fun one for him, you're going to see some really nice double-doubles with two blocks type of performance. Double-doubles with two blocks? How many guys can you find on the board with that? By the way, it's always also worth noting Gafford, not a horrible foul shooter. Not great, but 70%. So, like, not sinking your team horrible. Sort by blocks, though. How many guys had two blocks last year? Six. Six players had two blocks last year. All right, fine. Let's not be so aggressive. Let's call it 1.6. Because he was at what? What did I say? 1.3 before, in only... 20 minutes a game. He was at 1.4 last year. Getting him up to 25, 26 minutes, that 1.4 should pretty easily get to 1.6, 1.7 blocks per ball game. How many guys had that? Still only like 10 in the whole NBA. Joel Embiid, Mitchell Robinson, who might be your best comp there. Those guys didn't double-double either. Embiid did, obviously. He's a different beast. Mitchell Robinson was at 7 and 9 with a steal and 1.8 blocks and he was number 53. I do believe there is an actual Pat Walker Kessler for the year is an interesting case study in this. And he was worse at the foul line. Probably blocks more shots than Gafford does. But regardless, if we're saying like 11 and 9 with 1.7 blocks per game, that's top 50. I think Daniel Gafford could push top 50. There's no way he gets drafted that early this year. And maybe that's the most interesting thing of all in Washington. But it's all interesting. Gafford's super interesting. DeLon Wright is interesting before he gets traded. Tyus Jones is very interesting. Even Jordan Poole is interesting. And somehow I am less interested in uh, Denny Avia, who obviously I would like to see him succeed 
But what we saw at Avia late last year when everybody was hurt and they turned the ball over to him was that he then turned it over to the opposing team time and time again. And maybe he makes a big jump forward with more responsibility, but I don't think I'm willing to bet on that in nine-category leagues. Tomorrow, we will dive back into team recaps with the very new-look Phoenix Suns. This is a, this is a recap that's going to sound pretty different today than if we had done it a week and a half ago, isn't it? Yeah. They got four guys on the team, and that's I think that's it. <laughs> I think they, got, they might have to run four on five next year. Coaches will just have to get out there and suit up. I don't care if you're 57 years old. Do it. All right. Suns tomorrow. Hair today, Suns tomorrow. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Go check out the NFL Draft Guide and the NFL Fantasy Pass, available for just $4 a month right now. And the All Sport Fantasy Pass, available for $7 a month for a limited time only. That goes up to 10 bucks a month when the NBA stuff starts to drop next month. So don't screw around. Get one of those two things today and go start winning some leagues with us here at Sports Ethos. Again, Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Have a wonderful Monday, everybody. Talk to you all tomorrow. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.